Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So when I was a little kid, you know, I watched this, um, movie, this movie musical with Julie Andrews and Mary Tyler Moore, and it was called Thoroughly Modern Millie. You remember that? And they made it into a Broadway show, and it was wildly successful with Sutton Foster winning all kinds of awards, and I saw it then too. And it had really some fun score, but there was a part of it that frightened me to death because these two women at one time were captured, and they were going to be trafficked. And I remember my heart stopped as I watched the movie as a little kid because I thought, can this really happen? And, um, and then, of course, it was, you know, like a fantastical kind of a situation in a movie and you put it away. And then 20, 30, 40 years later, you read that human trafficking is a very real thing. It isn't something from hundreds, thousands of years ago during the slave trade that we think about with people coming over from Africa in chains around their necks. But it is just as scary and awful. And I guess you have to watch some of our police procedurals on television to see just how real it is with Eastern European women coming in and people coming in, I guess, from all parts of the world. Uh, Sheila Hare cares a lot about this. She's the clinical professor of law at Quinnipiac University School of Law. This happens to be Human Trafficking Awareness Week And it may not be something you want to be aware of, but maybe Professor Hare can tell us just how we can and should be aware, and maybe we can even be part of the solution. Uh, Good morning, Professor Hare, and thank you for joining us today. Hi. Seen that movie um, because I could hope I would be able to comment a little more on how accurate it is. I, I was going to say one of the things we really notice when we talk to people about human trafficking are the myths, and we often tell people like that the movie Taken is actually not really um, indicative of how human trafficking happens, and that it's a lot more invidious and sort of happens. You know, a lot, with labor trafficking, it, it can be hidden in plain sight, and I think especially with our children, it's happening on the internet and in schools where we would almost least expected it, not not necessarily from a stranger. So I'm happy that you brought that up, and I'll add that to my um, thoroughly modern watch. Millie. You got to watch it. It's it's, it's <laughs> okay. really really scary. She gets uh, kidnapped for quote white slavery, and uh-huh. it's it's horrifying actually. And it's in the middle of this otherwise you know upbeat happy musical, and it completely freaked me out as a kid. 
just want you to know. I had nightmares from it. I believe it. And were there strangers that kidnapped her? Because I think that's one of the sort of myths that we often hear is there's a white van, you know, picking up young girls. And in fact, many, most of the the cases that we see, including here in Connecticut, the trafficker is someone the person knows. And it's, you know, honestly, not always a male. A lot of times um, trafficking networks will use females to help um, lure in young people. Yeah, that seems even worse, right? That's like even worse in a way because it's it's such a terribly betrayal, you know, of one's own sex. So Sheila, um, let's talk about this a, a little bit. What do we mean by human trafficking? How do you define the term? What is it? Well, it's a hard term to define, and I think it covers a lot of examples, but I like to sort of simplify it into the most common examples we see are labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And I think we most often think of sex trafficking, but Mm -hmm. one of our panels for Awareness Week is really trying to expand the understanding of trafficking as it goes on in our country and abroad. And sex trafficking is when someone is being forced through force, fraud, or coercion uh, to perform sexual services. Labor trafficking is when someone is being forced to work, essentially. Um, so that's, that's a really simplified definition. Uh, well, one of the ways, you know, you know, Sheila, here's, I'm going to push back a little bit because one of the things I think we do sometimes is we make a mistake and in our vocabulary and enlarging a subject to include things that may be very real, but may not be as terribly awful as sex trafficking is. Sex trafficking, it seems to me, is the worst, right? I mean, it would be terrible to be forced to be any kind of a laborer, no question about it, and it can be a devastating, horrible situation. But what could be worse than being forced to to give up your body and lay down like that and be raped continuously under duress? So I want to I talk about that first. Then we can move to the other. But I don't want to make the mistake of enlarging the topic without focusing on the worst piece of it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I really, I, no, I want well, to get to that's really interesting. And, you know, it, that's fascinating. And I almost feel like when horrible, traumatic things have happened to people, it is so hard to sort of put them on a scale of what's worse and what's better. And one of the things I like to point out with labor trafficking, um, just to sort of connect it to sex trafficking, um, although the, the definitions vary, is a lot of times we see horrific sexual assault and violence against labor trafficked victims, because that's often a way the traffickers continue to force these labor laborers um, to, to continue to perform and be afraid of leaving the environment. So well, we then it's the same thing. Physical I see. Well, yeah, yes. no, it's similar. I think in terms of the hor- horrifying nature of it, I actually yeah. think there's, a, there's definitely an equivalent. The only difference where I would say we see sexual assaults, rapes, um, physical punishments, abuse. Um, the only difference is if you're not um, selling that person for sex, you're rather using that to keep them in a labor situation. That is is the difference in the technical definition. But I okay. like it that you're saying, yes, in terms of the parade of horribles, you know, I think you see so many commonalities. And the idea is that you get someone so demeaned, so oh. victimized, so afraid that in either situation, they don't feel free to leave. And, and you know, we mentioned chains, I think, or feeling like you were taken against your will. But yeah. this is one of the things we really try to emphasize. We used to show images of a woman, you know, with her hands tied up or, or chains. And that's actually a little, a, a largely a mis, misconception. A lot of times um, it's emotional. Almost all the cases we see, it's the emotional um, struggle, the emotional demeaning, the emotional lack of, you know, self-identity because of the way 
way these people have been broken down that prevents them from leaving. There, there are usually no chains and no ropes. The person is kept against their will solely through psychological control. Is and we see right? that in both. In that sense, you, you is, have labor and sex trafficking. This is common to both. Is that right? Let's focus on the women because, you know, labor trafficking could just as easily apply to men to some degree too. But let's focus on the women for a minute. You're telling me, Sheila, that we're talking with Professor Hare of Quinnipiac School of Law, that for the human trafficking, for the sex trafficking that you see, that these women – if they mustered their own courage, could walk out of the situation and would not be hunted down? Well, that, I think, is the critical piece. Because of the way there's, they have been treated, um, there's great fear, absolutely. And, you know, this is where, just to bring you back to a little bit of labor trafficking, but it's the same situation in sex trafficking. Um, the trafficker will often say, if you leave me, X, Y, and Z will happen. I will report you to the authorities. I will kill you. Um, I will maim your family. You know, I will, I will take horrible actions. I will get you deported. And so, yeah. Yes, that's exactly the point, is these victims are so terrified of what may happen, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, that there's no need to um, resort to physical constraints because it's the emotional fear, um, often extremely legitimate, of what is going to happen to them or their family members. Um, so so it's, it's, it's an irrational – you're saying it's a rational fear, but it, it doesn't look like a chain, but it is a chain. It's the same difference if it's I a rational exactly fear. right. And I love that you're saying it's a rational fear because I think so many times when we look at it without understanding the force, the fraud, and the coercion that goes into this, we think, why do, don't these folks leave? And when you really look at the situations they're in, what they're coming from, um, to give an example from the labor trafficking case, um, you know, I tell people, if you had a child and the trafficker told you, you know, I, I've seen women tolerate, tolerate is a strong word, but, but you know, endure um, horrible rape, physical abuse. Um, but when they're told, um, you know, if, if you leave this situation, I will get you deported and your U.S. children will be separated from you. You know, to me, that is one of the most powerful means of keeping a person under your control. And absolutely, I think when you fully look at the circumstances um, that sort of trap them where they are, it becomes quite a rational decision to stay where you are. And I think this also points to one of the problems we have in, in addressing trafficking is there's not enough that we've offered these victims when they finally get out of the situation, right? Mm. Um, they often have criminal records because they have basically obeyed their traffickers out of total fear for their mm. lives and the, their family members' lives. They have no resources. The trafficker has provided them with everything. Um, love, uh, in, a, in a, I hate to use that word, but they feel it's love and, and some predictability. And so, you know, these, these victims really need uh, services that will enable them to get jobs, that will enable them to get back on their feet, um, that will enable them to get custody of their kids. And you can see without putting those pieces together, it's really a rational decision to stay. So let me, and, and the reason I, I, I think it's very important is because, you know, the other conversation that we have a lot um, are about women that are abused in intimate violence situations, intimate partner violence situations, and they make a rational decision not to leave an abusive situation because the statistics show that when they do decide to leave, they are at most risk of harm of getting killed. So it's rational 
to stay in those. You see, people say, oh, why would they stay in that abusive situation? Because when they look at their limited choice of options, it's not maybe a choice you'd want them to make, but it's a rational choice to stay there. That's my point. You're absolutely, I I 100% agree. And I think we talk in our trainings, you know, the Human Trafficking Awareness Prevention Project, you know, has four pillars, one of which is awareness and trainings. And in our trainings, we really do emphasize this trauma bond. And what we ask people, what would it take for you? What is the most important thing in your life? And and oftentimes, the answers we get to those questions are exactly the thing the trafficker begins to control. So in the context of, you know, sex trafficking, especially with minors, right, it's your phone. That's one of the most important Mm -hmm. things. It sort of keeps you going every day. And if the trafficker can get control of your media presence and threaten to post, um, you know, inappropriate images that you may have inadvertently sent or he or she may have inadvertently gotten from you, you can see how that is just the beginning of a web of control that will really keep people, um, you know, at, at, you know, against their will. Well, and not only that, when you talk about social media, the guy may be taking pictures of her. And she might not even know it. And then he shows her the pictures that he's been taking of her. And she thinks, if I ever thought about rehabilitating my life, I can't now. Because the whole world will see me like this. Oh, that's sad. Your parents, your friends, I've seen that time and time again. If you um, say anything, if you leave, I will, um, you know, send this across the Internet and you will, you know, essentially be your existence. And I want to say, you know, you, you t- we talk about where do the traffickers come from, but especially with youth and online presence, you know, I am, you know, 52 years old, right? So I think maybe friending a stranger on media, I'm a little more wary. But this is the way, you know, young people interact. The Internet is the way they actually meet people. It's a perfectly common thing. But traffickers will sort of pose as different people, will, um, you know, start the conversation innocuously, and then, as you say, surreptitiously get information, get pieces um, that will allow them to control the victim. And one can be photos, but also threatening, you know, to tell parents. And um, oftentimes we see um, especially vulnerable youth who may have addictions, feeding them with drugs, and using all sorts of methods to uh, develop this trauma bond so that the person feels that they don't have any more options and that their only choice is to remain. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We're chatting with Professor Sheila Hare of Quinnipiac School of Law. Professor, tell us a little bit. One of the things you had said earlier was deportation. So who are the women that are coming here to be sex trafficked? And how come our immigration isn't doing a better job of stopping them at the border if they can see some telltale signs that they might be victims? 
Well, so I, you know, I think this is where um, it, it's really important to separate smuggling from trafficking. Um, and I hope I'm answering your question, but, you know, people often, and I find this in, in the case of my clients, met, some of them are brought over by the trafficker um, and they're made, they're told stories about what will happen. They'll have a better life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be a model and pose for me. And then lo and behold, after you make the move, you find that, you know, sex is part of the um, equation, unbeknownst to you. And then you find yourself with no other resources alone and at the at the will of the trafficker. But I think um, it's important to acknowledge that in some cases, especially with immigrants and labor trafficking, folks can come over voluntarily. Um, they can be brought over the borders. But trafficking can happen, you know, just within the country. So a lot of immigrants will come here um, voluntarily and then find that they come under the influence of a trafficker who um, essentially targets their vulnerabilities, forces them to work, and then they realize that they're in debt. And the trafficker says, you can't leave because you owe me money. And I did X, Y, Z for you. I paid your rent. I helped you with this. And now you have to stay on and work. And the debt never ends. And the person feels um, that they cannot leave. And as I mentioned, you know, there will be, you know, often physical, sexual and other violence happening. Uh, So I think it's a it's a very difficult um, issue to address. And I'm not sure the border is actually 100 percent where our focus necessarily should be. But rather, I think looking at labor laws um, and and trafficking laws to help um, victims feel like they can come forward if they find themselves in these situations and also trying to prevent these situations um, from from happening in the first place. Why this? Why is this your issue of choice? You know, I um, started off with family and immigration law, and, you know, I found that especially with some of the most vulnerable immigrants, um, they were finding themselves at risk of being trafficked. And so in some ways, you know, because I speak Spanish, um, these were cases that sort of found me. But I absolutely think these are some of the most vulnerable folks uh, amongst us. And I think it's also the level of sort of education that we all need to undertake to sort of make us more aware. And I think our conversation has really highlighted that this is a complex issue. There's sex trafficking, there's labor trafficking, and there's also lots of different populations being uh, at risk of trafficking. And I want to draw your attention to, um, you know, one way that we're hoping to sort of make people more familiar with some of these issues. You asked, how do we stop trafficking? Maybe it's uh, working at the border. On February, uh, sorry, on February 16th, a Wednesday, we have a panel called, as part of Awareness Week, Children Crossing Borders, Migrant Children's Vulnerability to Trafficking. And I think one of the, um, we, we try to answer that question. So how do we address the fact that there are certain segments of the population that are more vulnerable to trafficking And what does this look like? And I hope that people will come away with some answers to that question, specifically with respect to migrant children, but also that it's really, really complex. Um, Because one of the things we saw when kids were coming over the border, they were being processed by the immigration system. I mean, talk about vulnerable kids, right? They have, in many cases, no parents with them. They're all alone, at least initially in terms of being processed. They're being put in, you know, cages and, you know, something that's called an icebox in Spanish, Mm -hmm. too, very cold conditions, um, just because that's the the institution that it is. They're supposed to be moved out of those situations as quickly as possible. And one of the tricks that I think the government faces is what to do with them long term, right? And this is where the balancing comes in. In order to avoid sending them into the hands of traffickers who might come forward and volunteer to take them on permanently, the government has to institute procedures 
measures by which we analyze, you know, who's coming forward, are, is an appropriate caregiver, what is their criminal background. And yet at the same time, while those protections are good, I think if you move too far in the other direction, you find that um, reunification um, un- with a parent or family member um, becomes more difficult and more lengthy. And, and, and then that's also something that actually hurts the children. So again, I hope as part of our series, we're sort of highlighting some of the complexity of these issues. Certainly there are um, solutions, but, but that you know some of these sort of knee-jerk responses we hear in the media um, are just really exactly that, knee-jerk. Um, and, and we really need to understand and look at each situation independently and try to come to a more reasoned analysis. So let me ask you this, Dr. Hare. What would be a red flag warning sign of a situation or an individual in our life, you know, assuming that we're not talking to people that are patronizing these prostitutes, mm-hmm. uh, but that there are people, uh, and even maybe we should, maybe we should talk to people who patronize prostitutes. Maybe those mm-hmm. people aren't just patronizing prostitutes, but they would also want to know if somebody is doing something terribly against their will. What, what would we be looking for? Well, you know, let's start with um, one of the most common examples of trafficking that comes to mind, that of domestic minor sex sex trafficking. And in those situations, when we talk to like foster parents and teachers, um, we talk about bruising, um, inappropriate dress for the weather. Sometimes parents will notice that children get sort of expensive gifts that are unexplained. Um, It might be an unusual tattoo, sudden drop in grades, spending a lot of time on the Internet, absences from school. And I'll note that with all of these, you know, it's hard to train on this because there's no one sign. And Mm -hmm. all of those signs could also be innocent factors, right? Um, Parents may think of drugs or, or, you know, it may not be trafficking. But I do think that's one of the reasons why it's hard to identify these things. But important to have that sort of conversation with kids and be alert and be aware. Um, You know, there have been cases in Connecticut where, uh, you know, a child was actually trafficked out of the school. She was a high school student and parents noticed um, her grades dropping, some unusual behavior. They suspected drugs. And it turned out that she, um, you know, so they had a conversation with her. She said, mom, dad, I'll get my grades back up. Um, Everything will be good. Indeed, her grades did come up. um, But it turned out that notwithstanding, she was going to school and through the after school program, the trafficker was picking her up and returning her at the beginning of the program and returning her at the end. But she was being sex trafficked in the interim. Um, So it's these kinds of general um, signs and just sort of asking questions um, and and not being afraid to sort of inquire more. Like, I think the tattoos is a perfect example. Kids have tattoos, lots of tattoos. But, you know, are we asking questions? You know, where did this come from? And and sort of assessing what the answer is. And if the child isn't really um, excited to explain it to us, you know, that could indicate um, some danger signs. And, you know, with labor trafficking, it's many of the same things, like not um, being malnourished, um, unexplained bruises, um, in both cases, being disoriented sometimes. If you notice somebody at a hotel, for example, and they don't know where they are, um, it may be that they're being trafficked. With um, with labor trafficking, also not having possession of your own passport or identity documents. Um, right. So, you know, the list is quite long, but we do try to give 
hypotheticals because I think um, the best way to understand trafficking is to sort of look at all the facts and sort of think about, you know, how do these facts add up? What kinds of questions um, might help us answer um, the issue of whether someone's being trafficked? And the two most important points, if I may, that we really try to get across in these situations is do not be a vigilante, right? So if you're a teacher, your role may be different. But if you're a member of the public, um, it's very dangerous to intervene, both for you, both oh. for the, the the traffic oh, victim and okay. both for and for the people around you. So we tell people do not be a vigilante. And, you know, it's very common. I've used the term victim a lot, but I do it sort of in quotes because most trafficking victims don't identify. They they, they may not even um, have a definition of trafficking in their mind. And it's certainly if they do, it doesn't necessarily apply to their circumstance. And maybe they say, I'm not, a, I've had folks say, I'm not a victim. I'm a human being, you know, I'm mm. a survivor. Mm. So it's really important to recognize that there may be um, a challenge if you, you try to intervene, even from the, the, the quote unquote victim the themselves. Um, so we really highlight, do not be a vigilante. Call the human trafficking hotline. And if it's a child, um, call Connecticut DCF hotline, the, the TIP um, hotline, because those are the appropriate sources and they will use their expertise to take all these factors into consideration and appropriate. So not respond. the police. You know, the police may be a response, but actually, no, not no. the police. I think, okay. the, I think the better answer is, you know, I think increasingly people are, um, uh, the police are being trained on this, but I think actually, in a sense, by calling these hotlines, they are working with law enforcement, right, to respond to this. But I think because this this crime of trafficking is so complicated, so varied, and so challenging, especially in terms of knowing how to respond, yes, we strongly recommend um, call those hotlines. They will will then um, react appropriately. Okay. All right. So human trafficking You know, and if someone's in physical, okay. immediately physical danger and you feel like you need to call the police, that's, uh, that is that's a, a, different thing. a, a yeah. fine, yeah, it's a fine yeah. response. But mm-hmm. I think if you're just seeing these signs, there's no immediate danger um, or even there's, a, you know, sort of a more longer term danger. I think it's better, especially if you suspect trafficking, to send it to the experts and they will interact with law enforcement. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the number is 866-347-2423, but if you're actually in that situation, just Google human trafficking hotline and it comes right up. Okay. Wow. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Sheila Hare, about all of this. It's a Thank you very for this long conversation. conversation. Yes. Well, we really, yes. we really encourage people to come to these events. There's another panel on, on February 8th about um, consent and Title IX. So we really hope people Thank tune you. in. It's all free to the public. So um, look Thank on the Quinnipiac so website. For Will do. Quinnipiac Board. School of Law. Thank you so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com. 